0: another round of applause for these youth. Thank you, youth band. Thank you, youth choir and orchestra for uh, just all that you did to prepare for this Sunday and to lead us to the feet of Jesus in worship. Um, Very thankful for that. Uh, This morning we are continuing in the book of John, we're actually going to be uh, still in chapter 11, so if you want to go ahead and open up to John chapter 11, uh, we're continuing the story of Lazarus. Um, And if you know the story of Lazarus, you know that he has been in the grave, in the tomb, dead for four days now, but in this sermon series, he's now been dead for the last four weeks. So yeah, so it's about time we got him out of the grave, and um, we get to this point where Lazarus is now raised to life. Um, but if you do, if you do know the story of, uh, of Lazarus, um, then you already know, right? You've known for the last few weeks that Jesus is going to raise this man to life. You know that he is not going to stay dead, um, and the fact is that knowing the end of that story, in fact, when we read any passage in the Bible, knowing what's going to happen doesn't diminish from the glory of what's about to happen. Um, you know, just like if you watch your favorite movie or you re-watch your rewatch your favorite movie or re-read your favorite novel, um, knowing the end doesn't make it any less glorious, doesn't make it any less enjoyable. If anything, you get to rewatch uh, to re-read from a new perspective, um, hopefully with new eyes and a fresh outlook. And my prayer for today is that that would be the same for us, as we read this passage, that we would have... Maybe come with a new perspective, with fresh eyes, and we would, again, see the glory of God in this passage. So, uh, we're going to start in chapter 11, starting in verse 38, says, "'Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, "'Take away the stone.' Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, "'Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days.' Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. For me, uh, I've known I was going to be uh, preaching on this passage for the last couple weeks. And so as I've been reading through it, I tried to come with a new, new outlook, new fresh eyes on this passage. Um, and the first thing that really stood out to me is this response that Martha gives to Jesus. Um, Jesus gives a basic command, very simple. He says, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him... Lord, by this time, or some of your translations will say, but Lord, by this time, there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And what really stood out to me here is that uh, Martha, she does not say, yes, Lord, but she says, but Lord. Um, Oftentimes, uh, what we see people in the Bible, and in our own lives, we rationalize disobedience to the Lord. Uh, Martha here, uh, she has some logical reasons to not want to obey Jesus. Uh, She says clearly, she says right in the passage, uh, you know, there's going to be an odor. You know, she reminds Jesus, in case he forgot, uh, Lazarus has been dead for the last four days. He is going to smell, there's an odor. Uh, If you like the King James, he stinketh, okay? That's, you can go read it. If you're reading King James, you followed that along, it's he stinketh. And the fact of the matter is, yeah, those are real concerns, right? Are we really going to open up this grave with this smelly man in the grave, are we really going to do this? And not to mention that's her, her brother, right? Can you imagine the trauma of, of Jesus saying, hey we're going to open up the grave of your dead brother. I mean, I, I would have the same response, I think, as Martha does, saying, okay Jesus, I know you said this, but Lord, uh, I don't think this makes much sense. Let me make sure you know all the details and see if this really is what you want me to do. Um, and oftentimes we do the same thing. We rationalize disobedience to the lord rather than saying yes lord we say but lord and we fill in our excuse we know jesus says the one thing but we say "Uh, but my circumstances in my life right now i don't think that makes sense i know you're saying this jesus but if i said yes to that um, i'm going to look like a fool to all the people around me so i'm not gonna do that thing Um, one classic example uh, jesus tells us to be honest to be truthful it's one of the Ten Commandments, do not lie. Uh, but if my wife asked me, what did I think about dinner last night, um, I'm probably not going to tell her. I mean, am I really going to tell her I thought the chicken was just a little bit too dry? I, I, don't, think, I don't think I'm going to tell her that, right? I think I'm going to keep that to myself uh, because, you know, it should be, should be honest, but uh, I don't want to end up on the couch that evening, right? Like, <laughs> I, I, I want to have a good relationship with my wife. Um, that's kind of a silly example, but there are real, uh, more serious examples that we, we go through. Um, one is the, the fact that Jesus talks about faithfulness. Um, he talks about faithfulness in marriage um, and speaks against adultery. And we see, that's also one of the Ten Commandments, do not commit adultery. But Jesus takes it a step further. He says to even look at a woman to lust after her is to commit adultery in your heart. And so often, though, people will justify and uh, rationalize their disobedience to this command. Say, okay, I know Jesus says not to cheat on my husband, not to cheat on my wife, but, uh, you know, this isn't really that bad. I'm just looking at a video on my phone. I'm just watching this this video or looking at this picture or looking at this thing on Instagram that I shouldn't be looking at. And we know it's wrong, right? But instead of saying, yes, Lord, we say, but, Lord. And there are so many different areas in our lives where we do this, um, where as believers we still do this, where we know Jesus clearly says one thing, but we have a reason not to do that, uh, that we've come up in our head and we think that's okay. Um, And I want to encourage you guys to take a moment this morning, all of us to take a second, and examine our own heart, our own lives. Is there an area in your life where you say, but Lord, rather than yes, Lord, to something you know Jesus is calling you to? And maybe you have something in your head. Maybe you have something that you know, like, yeah, this is an area that I rationalize disobedience. Um, If that's the case, then I want to encourage you to also ask this question. What would happen if you did say yes? What if you did say yes to whatever that thing is? Um, How might you open yourself up to being used by God in a new way? Um, So here we see Martha, She at first she uh, rationalizes disobedience. And she says, uh, you know, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus responds. He says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And at this, they, they take away the stone. They have nothing else to say. It says, So they take away the stone. And Jesus lifts up his eyes, and he says this prayer. And any time that Jesus prays in the Gospels, we need to take a moment and pause, and we need to look at that prayer. Okay? How Jesus prayed uh, should be a model for how we pray. And so uh, we're going to take a second here and look at this prayer. Um, I'll read it again for you. It says, he lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So the first thing that really pops out to me in this prayer is that Jesus tells us why he's saying this prayer. He gives us the reason at the very end he says it's that they may believe that you the father sent him so jesus is saying this prayer so that everybody standing around knows that he's not doing this work on his own right that he has been sent from the father to do this work this miracle of raising lazarus and all the miracles that he does and so he makes clear this is why i'm doing this is why i'm saying this prayer that the people around will know that you have sent me father and What's really cool is our sermon series title for this whole, the book of John, is that you may believe, which we see the same phrase here, that they may believe, and this comes from John chapter 20, Uh, we should have the verses on the screen, John chapter 20, John explains why he's writing the gospel, his purpose behind this gospel, and he says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so all the miracles all the works all the signs that we see throughout the gospel of John are done so that we may believe that you may believe and believe what? That Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. And this even He even goes as far as to pray in such a way that we would believe this is true, believe that he is the Son of God and he has been sent by the Father. So we see why he prays, um, but we also see that he prays with great confidence. Um, again, he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. So Jesus, he has confidence, he has boldness to say, Father, I know that every time I pray, every time I'm saying anything to you, I know that you hear me. You always hear me. Um, but do we have that kind of confidence when we pray? Right? Do I have that kind of confidence that when I'm praying to the Father, I know that He always hears what I have to say? The reality is, He does. Right? We should be reminded of this truth. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, and you come to the Father through Jesus, then He hears you, and He wants to hear from you about everything. Your wants, your desires, um, what's going on in your life. He wants to hear from you, and he is always listening. And so we are able, through the Son, to come to the Father with this kind of confidence. The same confidence that Jesus has, knowing that he always hears us. And also, one other thing that I thought was huge in this prayer is the fact that he, the content of his prayer is all about the Father. He starts by addressing the Father. He says, Father, I thank you that you... Have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. You see the prayer of Jesus here is all you, 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 talking to the Father. But how often is my prayer life all about me, me, me? How often is are my prayers just, hey God, here's something I need today. Hey God, here's something that's going on in my life. I want to let you know about that. Um, I'm really struggling here, so now I'm gonna pray. When The reality is the prayers of Jesus were more about the Father than they were about himself. Um, How much more should our prayers look like that? Um, So often we come to God when we know we need something, when we know we want something, and God wants to hear those things, right? God wants us to come to him with everything and with anything that is going on in our lives. But if we are not praying outside of those things, if we're not praying when we don't have a need, when we don't have a want, just for the sake of just for the sake of praying, just for the sake of relationship with God, then we are missing out. Um, We are missing out on the real purpose of prayer, which is above all else so that we have communion with God, a relationship with him. That is what prayer is all about, just basic communicating with God. And so if we never come to God just to talk with him, just to praise him for who he is, then we're missing out on what prayer is truly about. So, Jesus gives us this example, and he gives, actually gives an example. The Lord's Prayer uh, starts with, again, our Father in heaven. So he's addressing the Father, uh, your name is holy, or hallowed, or whatever word you want to use. Um, I prefer holy, because that's easier to say. Um, but holy, he talks about the holiness of God. And then, it's your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So the beginning of the Lord's Prayer is all about the Father, and his will being done in our lives. And so do we come to the Father in that same way? Um, Do we come approaching him, wanting to simply just be with him, and to see his will done in our lives? Uh, Jesus, he says this prayer, and it says, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. So Jesus, he says this prayer, he makes it clear, the Father has sent me to do this, and he calls Lazarus out of the tomb, and then what happens? Lazarus, this dead man, is alive, and he's walking out of the tomb. Jesus proves here that he is the resurrection and the life by raising Lazarus to life. Um, we see throughout the Gospels, Jesus makes, uh, throughout the Gospel of John, he makes these statements, these I am statements about his deity, about the fact that he is God, and throughout these Uh, different statements, he often proves it by saying, I am, and then he proves it with a miracle. Um, A couple others before this one, he says, I am the bread of life, and then he creates a meal to prove it. Um, He says, I am the light of the world, and then he heals a blind man to prove it. And then here he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and he raises Lazarus to life to prove it. And so through this resurrection, we see that Jesus has the power to raise people to life because he is the resurrection and the life. This is who he is. He has life in himself, and there's life in his name. Um, And in Lazarus, we see uh, a picture of our spiritual reality, the spiritual reality of every person who has ever lived, And the fact of the matter is that the Bible constantly says that without Christ, apart from Jesus, we are dead. We are without hope. We are without God. We are like Lazarus in the tomb. There is no way for us to make ourselves right with God. There's no way for us to make ourselves alive again. We are dead in our sins and have no hope. But we see Jesus is life, and he has come to give life because he is the resurrection and the life. Uh, One verse that summarizes this very, uh, very well is Romans 6.23, which I believe we'll have on the screen as well, which says, for the wages of sin is death. All right, we we know this, we quote this sometimes, uh, the wages of sin, what we earn, what we deserve because of sin in our lives is death. Spiritually cut off from God, cut off from life with God, that's where we all are without Jesus. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, Jesus does not leave us there. He has offered a way, and not just any way. He is that way. He is that life um, that he offers to all of us. Um, But the reality is, if you have not trusted in Jesus, and you're in this room today, if you don't know Jesus, um, you are still dead in your sins, right? This is what the Bible says about you, and says about every single person who's ever lived, but apart from Jesus, you are dead and like Lazarus in the tomb. And my prayer for you is that Jesus would call your name, just like he called Lazarus. That he would call your name this morning and you would come to know him and to have life in him. So again, we see the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And through this resurrection, we have a picture of this coming resurrection that we will get to later in John, where Jesus not only resurrects other people, but where he goes to the cross, he defeats sin, he is in the grave, and he raises to life. And through what he accomplished, his life, death, and resurrection, we can now have life with God. You can go from death to life, just like Lazarus in this story. Um, And so... I was thinking about our graduates this week, uh, thinking and praying uh, for you guys, um, and really excited for all that God is doing in your lives, but I was thinking about the fact that every graduate, whether high school or college, or uh, we got some uh, doctoral graduates, um, each of these people, each of you, are getting ready to enter into a new season of life. Um, you have new freedoms, some of you moving uh, to college or moving out of the state, um, You're going to gain new freedoms, uh, new jobs for some people, new career opportunities. Maybe some of you are going to do more school, uh, new schools. There's a lot coming um, your way. And the question I want you to consider as you move into this new season of life, um, really this is a question for all of us to consider as well, is what defines you and your life? What defines you as a person? What defines your life? Is it Jesus The giver of life? The author of life? The resurrection and the life? Is he the one who defines your life or is it something else? And if it's something else, uh, then you're missing out on what life truly is. Abundant life and eternal life that Jesus gives. You are missing out on that if your answer is anything other than Jesus. But the reality is those of us who are Christians, who have trust in Jesus, so often we define our lives by the things that we do, by the things we accomplish, by the jobs we have, maybe by the degree you just graduated with, um, whatever it may be, we define ourselves by the things that we do rather than what Jesus has already done for us. And I want to challenge you guys and encourage you guys to look to Jesus for life. Whether you are already a Christian, whether you've already trusted in Jesus, I want to encourage you to look to Jesus for your life, to define your life, because He is the life. Like, literally, that's what he says about himself. He is the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. In him is life, and apart from him is death. So is he the one who defines you and your life? And for those of you who maybe haven't trusted in Jesus, maybe you're in this room and you have not ever experienced this life, uh, I want to ask you, is Jesus calling your name this morning? Is Jesus calling you to come from death to life? Um, is he calling you out of the grave just like he called Lazarus from death to life? Um, and how are you going to respond to that? Um, in just a moment, we're going to go into a time of invitation um, where you can examine yourself, your heart. You can pray. You can sing along and worship. But if you need to make some kind of decision today, if you know that Jesus is calling you, I want to encourage you to come forward. Uh, you can talk with me. You can talk with Pastor Randu. We can pray. Uh, we can share more about what it looks like to have life in Christ um, For those who already know Jesus, I really want you to ponder this question, like, what defines your life? Not the Sunday school answer, like, yeah, I know, Jesus is the answer, but like, what do you consider when you're living your life? What gives you value? What gives you worth? What is your life all about? Is it truly Jesus, or is there something else? Um, So let's pray, and we'll move into a time of invitation. Father, uh, we just thank you, and Praise you for the fact that you sent your son. That Jesus, you came as the resurrection and the life. And that through you, we can have life. Abundant life now and eternal life with you forever. And I pray for anyone in this room that does not know you, that you would call them out of death and into life this morning. And I pray for those of us who do know you, that uh, our graduates, as they move into new seasons of life, they would continue to trust you and pursue you wherever you lead them. And for those of us who are here, that we would define our lives based on what you say about us based on who you are and that you would uh, lead us in, in all things Lord. So we just lift up this time of you to you in Jesus name. Amen